BMNF Tampa. True Talk is a pre-recorded show today. Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Samar. This is Ahmed Badir. Samar is traveling. I'm going to continue our conversation today with Imam Derek Pete, who I started speaking to last week about his journey to becoming Imam. What does it mean to be an Imam? And his uh, conversion to Islam. He wasn't born Muslim, and he converted at a young age, um, I guess in high school, and later on went to study abroad, and now back in Florida uh, preaching the religion. What does Islam mean to him? That's what we're going to speak to uh, and discuss today. So stay tuned. This is True Talk on WMNF. Uh, We'll be right back. special day our hearts are full of pleasure the day that brings the two of you close together we're gathered here to celebrate a moment you'll always treasure we ask Allah to make your love last forever let's raise our hands and make dua welcome back to true talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer Summer is traveling and it's uh, just me today and Today we're actually continuing our conversation uh, with Imam Derek Peet. Um, if you missed the last episode of this conversation, uh, you can find it on our website, wmnf.org, and find True Talk, and you can uh, go back to last week's episode. But continuing the conversation, and in discussion of uh, what is Islam all about, you know, as Muslims here in America, we're... Um, because I happen to be one of them, um, also happen to be Arab, I also happen to be Egyptian, uh, I'm all those different things, um, uh, as also being an American and Muslim. Um, my citizenship is American, I was born in Egypt, now I'm here, my religion uh, is uh, Islam. Uh, Muslims in America carry these different identities. Uh, uh, Imam Derek, do you find that that there is any conflict between these identities, or are they mutually exclusive, or they um, complement each other? Or yeah, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahir Rabbil Alamin. Wassalatu Wassalamu Ala Rasulillah. Begin the name of God, the Beneficent, the Merciful, um, and and we seek His aid in, of course, uh, presenting this Deen, uh, this Deen of Fitra, the Deen of primordiality. In other words, the Deen of really nature. What is what is fitra? It means nature. It's, uh, it means the state that God creates things in that are effectively inclined towards recognizing God and witnessing Him. And so, is that him. like the default setting kind of thing? If you're pretty much like if you were to do a reset on a manufacturer device, like you know, you know, they talk about these days going off the grid. Uh-huh. I'll tell you a story. Um, friend of mine, he um, from Egypt. Uh, he was um, visiting his family in Ale- Alexandria, and then he went out to the um, you know the oasises that are out west. Yeah, you know these, right? Yeah, so he went out there with his uncles. They had a four by four. It's out and, in the desert. It's like an oasis is just like complete desert, sand everywhere. I went recently, and and it was just like des- And then you find this green area, just yep. a small little area, and there's some water there. Yep. Yeah. 
So he went out there. Um, him and his uncles, they ran into these, these Americans that were just there basically exploring. And, the, you know, they talked to them. Well, what do you do? You know, what, what are you guys up to? They said, we're just looking around, you know. And um, so they said, why don't you come along with us? We know our way around. So just follow us. So the Americans ended up following my friend. And um, I think it was Dohor time that came came up. So they what, pulled, is, that, what is Dohor time? Oh, Dohor time. This is the, um, the, uh, the early noon prayer. So they pull over onto the side of the road and, you know, they, they flag them down. They say, you know, we're going to stop to pray now. And, you know, you can just, we'll just wait for us. So we'll do our prayer, then we'll continue on. So my friend says that something amazing happened. He said that when they started to pray, though the people, the, the, non, the non-Muslim friends, they immediately joined the prayer. Hmm. Without even an invitation, without, they just joined and he said that this is how you feel out there in the desert, unplugged, just in a state of nature, which in Islam we'd call a state of fitra. Fitra. Yeah. Okay. Being so off the grid. <laughs> being off the grid is yeah. fitra. Yeah, yeah, I guess tr- that trending term. Going yeah. back to to uh, you know natural yes. way of uh, life or being. Yes. Um, but before we get to more into that, like when I was asking about being Muslim and American. Is yeah. there a conflict with that with with people in people's mind? I know for for some of these people that always point to Islam as something bad, they somehow say like these what we call the Islamophobes. They often say, "Well, you know, Islam is not." Um, you know, there's this fundamental. There's a conflict between Islam and 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 being an American, or you know, so at the level of identity, there's absolutely no conflict between being an American, being a Muslim. I mean, if we want to do our historical research, we'll see that much of what America was founded upon are Islamic principles. Thomas Jefferson had a Quran. Keith Ellison, when he was sworn into office, swore, swore in actually on that, that Thomas Jeffers, Jeffersonian Quran. But he, that's what he swore in on. Keith Ellison being the first uh, Muslim American into, you know, yes. inducted into the United States Congress. So when we talk about Islam and, you know, um, being Muslim and being American, you know, there's certain things that we have to really look into to, really to see who we are as Muslims and also who we are as Americans. And I think once we start to do a little bit of research, things will become, become clear for us. Beyond the historical side, though, Islam as a religion in itself, um, it's a religion that is, um, was sent for all places and all times. This is actually, we, you know, that's why I mentioned the, the nature of Islam as being a religion of nature, of neutrality, of being inclined towards God, being inclined towards just a level of, of peace. That's what Islam means, of course. Um, and that this religion, it was sent in a way and divinely packaged in a way. That's the best word that I can, I can use. It was packaged in a way to be effective in any place, any time, any society, and to really allow people to reconnect to God, reconnect to themselves, reconnect to nature and designed to preserve all those different connections. So, this identity, I mean, we can break it down further, but it's an identity that is very much in tune with what it means to be American. And it, uh, there is, um, I mean, it's not even a question of um, any contradiction. Um, you know, when if, if, if we, we study just the, some fundamentals of the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just see as, you know, American, that's your nationality. That's yeah. who you are. That's your citizenship. Mm. 
and Islam uh, is your religion. It's not any different than being an American and a Christian. Yeah. Um, that's really America is about religious freedoms. But oftentimes what is disturbing is you've got some Americans, mm. some aspects of our society that think yeah. that there's only one way to be an American and you have to be, you know, well, a six-pack Joe American that is... Uh, here, here's where I think, you know, some Americans need to be reminded of our own American heritage. Right. You know, uh, the, what, what freedom means, what liberty means, and what that's informed by. Because um, that's informed by, of course, freedom of, of religion, respecting other people's rights, and this country being, now, you know, they call it a me- melting pot, but it's really a, a country where you come, put in your hard work, contribute to society, contribute to the betterment of, you know, for, for, for the good of the whole. And that's what, you know, that's very much what Islam calls us to in general. But um, is Islam tolerant of other religions? <laughs> I think Islam is the most tolerant of all religions. How so? Islam would t- actually. So I mean, maybe. Well, I'll say this: Islam is the religion of there is no compulsion in religion. Where does that come from? That's uh, in the Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah. Forgetting the verse number, but that's the verse of the the cow. Um, yeah, that's about page, well, in Arabic it's page 42, but I don't know the page number yeah, in English. No. I mean, but it's but right it, after, I think it's after Ayatul Kursi, I guess. Exactly. But, um, like, when so, you say the Quran, for people that aren't familiar, when you say that's part of the faith, like, if it's in the Quran, what does that mean? That means that it's effective part of our identity. Like, that's not an optional thing. Yeah, I mean, we... When, when it says no compulsion in religion... We must be tolerant as believers then. Mm. So, being a Muslim is defined by... Tolerance. It's defined by caring for people, understanding that everybody is at a different place with, in their spiritual journey. Or maybe a person doesn't believe in God or he believes in multiple gods and that God calls us to recognize that people are going to be different and it's not for any human being to force another human being to believe or do any particular thing, that God gave us a particular uh, will and a, and a choice mm-hmm. that's his gift to all of mankind that we have the choice and it's for no human being to take away that choice from any other human being that's what the verse is telling us i mean when i tr- oftentimes talk to Amer- like other fellow americans and just say you know when they say be an american uh, how do you identify what being an american is uh, to me an american is someone who follows mm. the constitution mm. who agrees to that document or that contract you know for the people by the people so if you go away from that, yeah. then you're actually not being an American or you're not being yeah. a good American. Does the same thing apply for Muslims? Because oftentimes they point to Muslims that, like in the media, they'll point to Muslims that are doing bad things or crime and then say, oh, well, and then yeah. they blame the religion for it. At the risk of being too abstract or philosophical, I have to say this, that we have a crisis nowadays in, in knowledge, right? That we have a crisis in identity, like, for example, where do we get our identity from? How, are, how is our identity informed? For example, of course, for me and you, the Constitution is going to inform what it means to be an American. And I, I would agree with you to the utmost degree that this is, that's it. That defines who we are as, as Americans. But the crisis in knowledge is that some people think that their identity can be informed by, for example, people on Fortran or online... online um, um, you know, messaging forums mm-hmm. where you don't even, maybe you don't even know who the person is, his qualifications, but just the talking head 
Or maybe you don't even know his head because you don't know his picture. So you then accept. Basically informed by social media or uh, in, other pop culture or other things. Yeah, informed by, I mean, the word would be ignorance. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't if know if that's, I don't know if that's right. harsh. But. Yeah, it could be. But, I mean, the thing is, if you're getting your, if, if what it means to be an American for you or your way of I, identifying or defining what America means to you is by what you uh, consume on social media or television. You know, I, I've said this before, and, um, you know, I had my own misconceptions about what America was mm. before I came here because I was actually born in Egypt. I came when I was nine. And it was basically formed by what I saw on television from whatever uh, Hollywood shows were being broadcast in yeah. Egypt. That, because I didn't know any, I hadn't, I hadn't met Americans before. Mm. I didn't live in America, so I didn't experience it. And once I came to America, I realized it was so much different than, than what's on television. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I think uh, media and mass media and social media plays a big part of that, of, of pushing that um, ignorance. Yeah. And this is not to say we, we can't, like, engage and discuss and interpret. But, again, we have to have, like, a sort of thing to interpret. It can't just be, you know, just any person's opinion, what is that opinion informed by? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why we believe that, you know, you know, we should, you know, that your vote should be um, informed by knowledge. Right. That's people won't be manipulated. Informed voters. Informed voters. So they're not manipulated. You're educated. So I, I think it's a quote from Thomas Jefferson. He says, I'd rather live in a state of, uh, I think it's, he said, a state of, 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 um, revolution or anarchy mm -hmm. rather than have a, have a government without newspapers. Oh really? Okay. I, 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 I'm I'm pretty sure that's Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, if it's not, then people will correct us later yeah. <laughs> by sending but, us messages yeah, and yeah, say, yeah. "Oh, you're Imam, uh, <laughs> you had on." And if you missed our last uh, episode, um, you can also go back and listen to that on our website too. But of course, when we say newspaper, the people, the populace is informed about what's going on. Right. And now, yeah, especially educated. with the fake, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of misinformation out there yes. and fake things out there that people hold on to. Yeah. And social media has furthered that. Um, so if you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF. I'm speaking to Imam Derek uh, Pete uh, about Islam, about what it means to be a Muslim. And um, some of the questions that we receive from time to time, if you actually... Um, want to know more about Derek, you can go back to last week's episode where we talked about, you know, who he is, his story, why he chose to become an imam. But for brief that miss, people that missed that story, what is an imam? An imam is a, um, the, the term really means in the general sense, a leader, um, usually in religious sense, of course, a spiritual leader, community leader, activist, advocate. Um, these, these, um, How is an imam different than a priest or a pastor or a reverend? Well, um, an imam is, uh, there's not really a sort of strict hierarchy in, in Islam in the sense that you have, you know, e ecclesiastic, uh, you know, authority or, you know, things like that. So an imam would be different in the sense that an imam is a spiritual leader, but at the same exact time, a, a, you know, a, a teacher of the community, a person who's with the community. So uh, you're not taking orders as you as an imam. Mm, are you taking orders from a higher uh, authority uh, or a no. body or a church? No. So the, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, so like yeah, the concept of people like you know Lutherans or Episcopalians or others, they mm. send, you know they have certain like church bodies yeah. and they have to follow certain rules. Um, or are you more, or the imam is more like independent, like some of these? Well, the imam, um, we, we, we'll you know go through, we go through a you go through a course of study as an imam to then be able to effectively teach and lead in a way that it's in accordance with what God wants. Um, so. The authority in Islam is not really, it's not really physical. It's more spiritual and it's really, um, it's based in our religious, religious tradition. Um, I mean, the, uh, the technical term for it is that authority, authority in Islam, it's epistemological. It means like that. Such um, a big word. That's a, I know. <laughs> so what does it mean? It means, um, that authority, it's going to rest in uh, interpreting the the religious texts in a proper way. That's what it means. Okay. How do we <laughs> know if an imam is? How do we know if an imam is interpreting the right way? Because you know, oftentimes you see these. I mean, there are very few in number, but they're very vocal when mm-hmm. it comes to the media, especially in you know since nine eleven, the media highlights these very fanatical groups yeah. and and figures. Whether it's uh, Al Zawahiri from uh, yeah. ISIS or no from uh, uh, Al Qaeda or uh, ISIS uh, Abu Bakr al Baghdadi or some of these yeah. figures that also use some sort of religious rhetoric, mm-hmm. uh, people don't really know about their religious background, yeah. but somehow they highlight them as some sort of spokespeople for or, Islam or authority. or authority. When you know, like. How do people differentiate? Yeah, with, with, with the ironic thing with, with Zawahri, I don't think he would even claim to be an authority. Okay. He's a medical doctor. Yeah, oh, he studied as a medical doctor. He's a medical doctor, and I'm not even sure, but you know, there's certain people within certain circles, um, you know, maybe uh, you know, had certain interests <laughs> that um, claim that he's a scholar, but he's not a scholar. I'm not, I don't think he would claim that. Um, Osama bin Laden, he wouldn't claim that either. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I don't even yeah. know what he was in uh, Saudi Arabia before he went yeah, to Afghanistan. I think you know, children of he was a children of um, you know, he's uh, a child of that uh, business moguls. Yeah. Um, so you know, concerning the, the authority in religion, um, I mean that's that's no, no doubt a big topic. I'll try to summarize that authority is going to be um, you know derived through what we call proper transmission of religion. Uh, that leads to sound interpretation mm. in simpler terms, um, especially in speaking against extremism, that Islam is a religion of again, of, a, of again, nature. It's a religion that wants the good. It's a religion that wants sustainability. It's a religion that wants, um, you know, uh, it wants to be, um, uh, be for man to be in equilibrium, for man to be balanced, for people to harmonize. So I'd say, and and you know, and there's there's this balance between in in Islam. There's a balance between intellect mm-hmm. and having you know this rational and rational understanding, a sound approach to the religion that is moderate, that sets wasatiya, that that is moderate, and that it's balanced, and then this will give then give rise rise to good results that are palpable, good results that people any sound human being, anybody with a mind would say. That's good, and I can't argue with that. Feeding the poor, worshiping God, uh, assisting the orphan. You know, Islam is a religion that's designed to lead to those things. Why do I mention all of that? I mention all of that to say that if we see a group of people then doing things that are very much opposed to that being established, what is that? 
sound humanity, sustainability, mm-hmm. harmony between people, then we immediately know something mm-hmm. is wrong. Well, we can just start asking questions. Who are these people? Then? Right. It's not only something is wrong with these people. It's obvious to us as Muslims mm. that these people are obviously uh, something is very wrong with them, very suspicious. Mm-hmm. And they're outside the complete norm. They're not even on the spectrum of what it is to do Muslim, you know, how to behave as a Muslim. However, many uh, of these people don't even know their names, their right. names. So. But, but, the, <laughs> but the media, like oftentimes in the politicians and mm-hmm. stuff, it gets so frustrating because. They don't apply the same standard to others. It's not like when uh, mass shooters in this country mm. that are that happen to be Christian mm. and oftentimes invoke uh, God's name when yeah. they're bombing um, abortion clinics or other places. They don't call them Christian terrorists or somehow blame Christianity for what has happened to them. But do you, do you often see this double standard? Uh, absolutely. And I think it's something we have to continue to really call out and... Uh there's something that needs to be highlighted that wait a second um we can say i mean what i'd say is this terrorism is a human problem it's not a religious problem and that's something that we have to figure out as human beings you know that there are certain things that are human issues we can go into we can call out other issues um, that are fundamentally human issues that are not religious issues. Maybe a controversial one, and I won't even give an opinion, but what I, I, w- what I will give an opinion and say is that, for example, Israel versus Palestine, mm. and without taking a side. You had to again, go there, huh? Without taking a side, <laughs> okay. without taking a side. I take a side all the time on this show, by the oh, way, but oh, it's okay. You but, can... uh, but I want all the lis- listeners to understand without, I'm not taking a side right now. Mm-hmm. What I do want to say, though, is that that is not a religious issue. That's a human one. That's true. And That's it's a, a political one. one. There you go. So, I mean, um, you know, it's, uh, it's oftentimes they try to make it as some sort of um, religious war. Mm-hmm. But it is a human issue because this is not Christianity. I mean, Islam against Judaism or Christianity and mm-hmm. Islam against... These are people and, yeah. they're, and, they're, and they're occupied. Um, so uh, a good point, but oftentimes I do take the side of the Palestinians because they're <laughs> the ones that are oppressed. And um, you can get the opinion of the Israelis by tuning to other, many other stations or all yeah. the other stations. Yeah. They're always spouting that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what does it mean to be a Muslim? So out of the, so the most Islamic identity. What, what is the difference between Islam and Muslim? So Islam is the religion. Mm-hmm. Muslim is the person. Okay. Or the individual, male or female. Right. Um, okay, so what does it mean to be, I guess, an adherent or... So a person who's a follower of Islam is Muslim, because mm-hmm. oftentimes people mix that up. So what does one have to do to be Muslim? Um, it's actually rather simple. It's that you believe that there is no God, and this is the... I mean, you can follow the formula here. It's a literal formula that's important, that you believe that there's no God first and foremost, that there's no God except the one true God, and that you believe that Muhammad is his servant and his messenger, and he delivers the message to mankind. Once you be- believe that at a fundamental level, that means you're a Muslim. So that's, Muhammad, that's, 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 that's the, oh, that's, Muhammad is the prophet of Islam. Right. Is he, yeah. so, is he the only, so only believe in him, or I mean, is he the only prophet and, and, or messenger recognized by Muslims? Oh, so we, um, um, so the, prophet he teaches us that all of the prophets that came before him you know moses jesus abraham 
Ishmael, Ishaq, Isaac, that these are his brothers and that they are like one house and each prophet is a brick. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, and they, they work together. They um, support one another. So, and so you can imagine like, you know, a, a beautiful... Even though they didn't live at the same time. Uh, even though. So yeah. how do they do that? So, um, do they build on each other's work? Or? Yes. So one source and that, for example, with the, the, uh, the Jews, they would have one prophet come then another after that and another after that, you know, sub subsequently, just consistently. And each prophet that would come would complete or look, would follow up with the message, with the message of that prophet that came before him. Mm -hmm. When you um, said that phrase, and we'll get back to this point, it just means we remember Dave Chappelle's, uh, monologue on Saturday Night Live uh -huh. and he said there's two words you never say in the media the <laughs> followed and by Jews, Jews. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> never <laughs> I know you went in the different you know so what? that's not uh, you're not we're talking about basically historically yeah the ad the adherence of, of Judaism Judaism that yeah. uh, one prophet was building or continuing yeah. the message of the previous and that's 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 a beautiful thing and we um, fully recognize that's the, that's a beautiful thing do Muslims and, believe in the in the message sent to the to uh, I guess the adherents of Judaism or the children of Israel uh, absolutely mm. yeah. And what's you mentioned in Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, and you mentioned that we have to believe in him as a prophet. How is he different than Muhammad? Is he different than Muhammad? Obviously, you know, in the Christian sense, uh, he's seen as uh, part of a, a divinity or a trinity mm. or the son of God. How is he? What is the, I guess, the um, perspective or the belief of about the role of Jesus in the Muslim faith or Islam? You know, so we can, uh, that question, we could put it through the filter of La ilaha illallah, which is there's no God except Allah. So putting it through that filter, so let's put whatever, you know, that which Christians, mainstream Christianity believes about Jesus. Um, so there's no God. So we would say that Jesus, he's not divine. And we would... Um, is uh, Muhammad divine? No. So, so there's, no, there's no divinity except God. Mm. Right, so, so that's the difference. Yeah, that's primary difference. I guess that's well, closer to the Juda Judaism perspective it's, it's, or um, belief. Yeah, very very close to it, if not identical in most ways. So we believe that there is no God but Allah. So Jesus is not God or he's not part God. He's a servant of God. Um, so we would um, look to negate divinity from Jesus. Um, as we would um, insist that he does himself. We would, we would point to the Bible and say that Jesus never calls himself God. He never tells people to worship me. He doesn't do that. You know, you can't find a text where he's saying, you know, maybe he says, you know, I am the way to the Father. We also believe that, we believe that too, that he's the way to God. Um, we believe that he's the Messiah. He's a mighty prophet of God. We fully recognize that. So we look to kind of... um um to negate the divinity, but at the same exact time, there's so much that we affirm about Jesus that Christians also believe. Like? He's the Messiah, born of a virgin mother, um, was a mighty prophet, equipped with a wide variety of miracles, giving life to the dead, um, forming, uh, forming the shape of a bird out of clay and blowing life into it. Um, How was he able to do that? By the permission of God. Yeah, so God um, 
effectively entrusted Jesus with um, these miracles that he could um, effectively guide the, the Bani Israel or the children of, 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 of And this of is Israel. part of the... So why do Muslims believe in that? I mean, how is it... Where is this? Is this part of your the the Muslim sacred text or? Uh, yeah, yeah. So the primary place you can find that is Surah Al Imran. This is the third chapter of the Quran. When you say Surah, it's a chapter in the Quran. The chapter of the Quran, and it talks yeah. about uh, Jesus and was he what he was able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, is but I, and I asked this question before. Um, how do Muslims view Muhammad, and what's Muhammad's role? So peace Muhammad, be upon him. peace be upon him. He is the, he is the, how do I, the principal prophet? We would say the chief prophet, and that he has a very very important relationship to Jesus himself. Mm. So that it's a very dynamic sort of relationship, and a very interesting one that it's difficult to like really pin it down and really put it into words. I'll try. So I see when I see it, like I know the listeners can't see it, but when when I mention his name, I see your face light up. Uh, yeah, so Muhammad uh, no doubt has a special place in every Muslim's heart, being the uh, beloved of God, but also be- the beloved of all Muslims. Um, and that's a love that we simply only look to reflect because the Prophet was, you know, when we read his biography, is one who sacrificed so much for his community, uh, staying up at night, praying to God for his community, um, really looking to make sure that we would be well, that we would be in harmony, that we would be, you know, on, on, on solid footing. Um, so, you know. When was Muhammad alive on earth? Um, in the, the, sixth, uh, the 7th century, between the 6th and the 7th century. So that would be like what year? Um, that's what five sixty, five, approximately five sixty mm. to six forty. So, um, no, that seems um, okay. So yeah, I mean, I, or five eighty or something. Yeah, the, somewhere in the five hundreds, late five hundreds. Yes, I'm not remembering the exact. Uh, so, um, date now. where was where was he living? I mean, for people that because some of the yeah, listeners some, some may of not might right. not be familiar who. who who Muhammad was, where was he born? And yeah, so so Muhammad, he was born in 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 uh, in, in what we'd call today uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, so he was born into a, a noble family um, that were called Hashemites. They were known to have a noble lineage, going all the way back to to, to Abraham by way of I- Ishmael, um, and he. Um, well, was raised, um, you know, uh, primarily, primarily, well, initially by his mother, and then raised by his his grandfather. Um, and from his, you know, from his earliest years, he was noted to be, you know, a trustworthy young man. Um, they called they used to call him Asadikul Amin, which means the truthful and trustworthy one. That even before there was his name was associated with prophecy, that. People knew him to be trustworthy, knew that he never told a lie, knew that you could, you know, really count on this person. He was a stand-up, stand-up sort of, a stand-up person. Mm. Um, this was, um, and that's, uh, that's, that, was, that was even attested to by his enemies. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're just joining us, this is True Talk on WMNF, and I'm speaking uh, with um, Imam 
Derek Pete, and we're speaking about Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, Prophet of Islam and about Islam. Um, this is actually a continuation of a discussion we've had uh, that we had last week in the first interview, and then this is the uh, second of that. You can go back to last week's uh, on WMNF.org at True Talk to listen to last week's uh, discussion about who Derek uh, Pete is and uh, more about his story. Um, so uh, you were saying that Muhammad was born in uh, what is now modern-day Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Back then it wasn't called that. It was just, I guess, the Arabian Peninsula. Um, I, get, I mean, he was born in Mecca. Yeah. Um, when did he become a prophet? So he became a prophet at the age of 40 years. Um, so for the first 40 years, he was just an average, but seems like a very upstanding character yeah, in his so, community. Um, the uh, biographers, they go into his early life and they do um, you know, a really good job of detailing his early life, uh, relying upon objective sources, sound sources, and you know, sound historical material. Uh, through, so the first 40 years of his, of his life were characterized by really um, miraculous events. Mm. that um, people who they, who they witnessed these things, they actually, um, when they, because they witnessed those things, that they then, when he claimed to be a prophet, they immediately accepted him because mm. they knew who he was. So they knew something was special about him. They were intimate with him. Okay. They knew him. And so he became, how did he become a prophet? Did he get, like, get, did he get a letter? You know, I know it sounds silly, but how did he become How's a prophet? How did he know that he was a prophet according to Mashallah. our beliefs. You know, it's one of the blessed things in the religion of Islam that we, we say that as Muslims, our prophet was born in the full light of, of history. What does that mean? So we have certain details about his biography and his, his status as a prophet or his role as a prophet. How does that happen? What does it feel like? What's the, what's, how does that happen? Who, how do you become a prophet? Right? We, we yeah. have that full story. That's, yeah, because, I mean, I guess, yeah. like, if somebody's born in nowadays, yeah. everything is documented online. Yeah. What you're saying is, because he was in the 7th century, mm. that, and, you know, things have been preserved, that everything, you know, his whole history was preserved. We Unlike know. some of the previous prophets and messengers, there's a little mystery there because yeah. their work and their writings or yeah. what was written about them is lost. And Of course, with Jesus, we have a lot of that story, too. But with other prophets, we don't really have that story. Well, the original source is still intact. Yeah, exactly. Because even with Jesus, mm. my understanding is the original writings in whether it's Aramaic yeah. it are non-existent, and the first sources are like you know three hundred years after Jesus, yeah. and they're in a in Greek, mm-hmm. which was not the native yeah. language of Jesus or his students, but. Go ahead and continue as far as you were saying uh, he was born or he, his story was in the... What'd you born find? in the light of history. In the light of history. Um, when, we say, when we say history, we mean like if a historian was, a historian was to access his bio, the biographical sources, they would have to give them regard. Hmm. Whereas with, we'd say all other prophets, the historicity, to use a big word, basically the historical validity or the the um, objective, like um, that it's an objective source mm-hmm. for any other prophet, it's academically, it'd be called into question. Mm, like, for okay. example, if you want to be, not to be critical, but for example, with the Bible, in terms of its um, 
attribution, you know, who is Mark, who is Luke, who is John, there, there are, you know, there are conversations about that. Yeah. You know, uh, who uh, are these uh, men? Among Christian historians themselves, yes, there is yes. no consensus yes. on the validity of those. However, there's no question when it comes to uh, the Quran sources, because again, yeah. you're saying that they were born or founded in the light of yeah. history. Uh, you know, in the light of history, and also in in and and were recorded with a really an objective method of checking sources. Where is this from? Is this true? Muslims were probably more critical of their tradition than anyone else. Was that all designed to preserve? Absolutely. And is that, I mean, is that because they were trying to avoid mistakes of previous communities? Yeah. Mm, okay. So in terms of whether books being lost or possibly being changed or, you know, people making mistakes um, that would fundamentally alter the message so our community from the earliest from the earliest part of our community Muslim community you know 1400 years ago they were really keen they were very focused on making sure that they recorded things that they recorded the Quran and they also corroborated this material that one person couldn't say well this is the you know this is the this is the um the version or then a per, another person can say oh no that this is the version Rather, it's the case that they came together and they corroborated the material, the source material. Mm. And they have a, you know, in our tradition, we have a, a complex system of corroborating reports, of making sure that reports line up, that it's cogent, that this makes sense. Uh, so um, he became a prophet. And what happened after he just, I guess he announced, did he go announce I'm a prophet? So initially, and what was the reaction? So initially, um, he do, he doesn't announce his prophecy. Well, not openly, but he starts to speak to close friends. So one of his closest friends um, is known as Abu Bakr, Abdullah ibn uh, Abi Qufaha. Um, so this close friend of his um, is one of the earliest um, uh, um, converts to the religion. Um, and also, well, well, the first person that he goes to, what was worth mentioning, that he goes to his wife. Mm. And he goes to his wife and he says to her, you know, this has happened to me. I've been visited by a being of an immense power and light and radiance. And this being, um, this being embraced me and informed me that I need to, that I need to recite and preach on behalf of God. Mm. Um, what were the first words that were? Read. Read. Iqra, read. But uh, my understanding is Muhammad could not read or write. He was not literate in writing or reading. Yeah, so he's not literate in the, the sense of the written word. Mm -hmm. But the Arabs were also known to be an oral tradition. Like many Mediterranean traditions at that time were also oral traditions. This right. is actually important. We're very much a written world today. So we think that, you know, we sometimes think that, that oral traditions are oral cultures are somehow deficient. That's really not the case. Mm. That these people, because they had an oral tradition that was corroborated by the community and memorized by, by, by people, that they had really sharp memories. And there was a dynamic way of, um, you know, keeping things. Um, so he was uh, not literate in the sense of uh, reading not, and writing text on paper, 
but he was a illiterate. Well, we can orally. say he was a master of language. Master of language. We can say we can say that the Arabs, even though they were not literate in terms of being able to, write, but they had people that could write among them. Yes, they had an alphabet. They had yeah, and this is something that even um, non-Muslims that study the Arabic language attest to that it's a it's an, a language that is um, highly complex. And I can attest to that myself after studying it for so many years, a highly complex language. And, you know, we study it and we read it in books today. It's a very complex language. And they were speaking this complex language in their day-to-day interactions. So, you know, I always like to mention that because sometimes we hear, oh, the prophet was not literate. And we somehow think that's a, that's a deficiency. Mm. You know, we have to make sure that we... Uh, Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. So he, in, uh, in, you know, told his wife and then yeah. he invited his friends. Mm-hmm. So... Going back to, you know, the, the, the literacy. So um, him not reading or writing, this was a divine, a divinely, um, divinely designed or was the divine intent behind that was that no one could claim that Prophet Muhammad, maybe he was a former Christian or that Muhammad was mm. reading the Bible. Or he copied it or from something else. He copied it from someone else or that, um, you know, somehow he got a, got some sort of text or you know, that he was up to some funny business. Mm-hmm. So this completely um, negates that possibility. Because his community yeah. for 40 years already knew him not to be able to write yeah. but, or read. Yes. So that was a further, the, I guess, uh, okay, so that makes sense. Yeah. So then he, when did he openly preach it? So um, he, uh, of course, he goes to his, uh, uh, his, um, his early companions, um, Abu Bakr, and then Abu Bakr is actually the one that spreads it amongst the um, a close circle of people um, um, that um, you know would include um, uh, the, the likes of a man called Uthman um, and also um, Zubair, Ibn, Ibn Awam, the different com- companions and early people who joined the message. Then in the, the sixth year of the message, uh, our prophet, peace be upon him, receives the command that mm. that announce what you've been commanded to and reject what the polytheists are doing. So then the prophet um, began announcing the message um, openly. And was that risky? Did that uh, come at a cost? That came at a high cost. Um, so the the Meccans, uh, Meccan society and culture back then was very much rooted in Polytheism, the the Meccan, the Meccan psyche was ingrained in you know this dedication to idols, and there are also economic uh, considerations for the idols too. Um, so it was very ingrained in the Meccan society, ingrained in the Meccan Me- the Meccan um, psyche, and they didn't want to let go of it. You know, they had uh, turned Mecca uh, into a polytheist idol worshiping, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, commerce. Yeah. And, and they you know, benefited a lot financially from it, at least definitely. the leaders or the and you know the we, elite of that community. We, it's important to situate polytheism and especially at you know and contextualize it there in Mecca that this was a system um, that wasn't simply just worshiping God and everyone was just fine. No, that polytheism came at a cost, and that was it was associated with a lot of injustice. It was a type of polytheism where they did not allow anyone else to practice anything else other than their way. Yeah, it was very, really oppressive. Oppressive. And the polytheism was then used to justify the objectification of women, the killing of female, um, of, of, of female, female infants, 
was used to justify really a really um, a, a, a very very dark social order was used to justify um, you know a particular um, social hierarchy where you know well women of course they don't have any rights didn't have any rights whatsoever before um, Islam before Islam um, so that we should understand that the polytheism as a as a system is not simply just a person worshiping an idol. No, there are there are things that come with that, especially in the the Meccan context that were um, we would say today, you know, as um, any sensible person would say that this is um, this is unhealthy. This so, is what toxic. attracted? Um, sorry to speak mm-hmm. so loud into the mic. What attracted people, uh, the people in Mecca, to this message, and how was it? Did it spread? Yeah. So the um, the people were attracted. Many of them were attracted attracted to it because they knew that Muhammad, peace be upon him, was truthful and trustworthy. And also the people of uprightness, people of sound intellect, people of sound mind, they recognized that what was going on was wrong. Mm. So some some people in actually the pre-Islamic period, they had left idol worship even before Prophet Muhammad came because they saw the negativity, they saw the toxicity. So when the Prophet now is coming with this message that it's full-bodied, he's coming with certain details and he's coming teaching the people about themselves, about the Lord, about fitra. about the fitra, the, about nature and how we relate to nature and how we should love one another and come together as a people and how God uh, loves all of man and we are equal in, in God's eyes and the only difference that we have is in our, in our taqwa, our piety, our piety and our righteousness. This is what differentiates us between God. But, 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 um, for God, this is what differentiates between man, his piety, his righteousness, how we treat one another. This is what is going to be the, um, the um, you know, create that hi- hierarchy effectively. So when the prophet, he starts to speak this, speak this and preach this pure message, people are attracted to it. People are ready for change. People want to get things right. So as more people embrace, what happens in Mecca? Well, as more people embrace, you know, from the powers that be, there's pushback. Um, unfortunately, of course, um, back on, as I say planet Earth back then, there wasn't freedom of religion, really. Anywhere. You know, anywhere. Really before Islam, there was not, up until 17th century Europe, there wasn't freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. We forget that history all too often. What year? What, what uh, century? Was this, uh, approximately 17th century. Mm-hmm. There wasn't. Or even later. Or even later on. <laughs> maybe we can argue maybe even right now in certain places that in Europe that you don't, can't a woman can't wear her head covering in certain government buildings mm-hmm. maybe we can argue that maybe that you know that there's a double standard there maybe there was some things to still work on um, so at some point Muhammad had to and his followers peace be upon him uh, leave the only place uh, he, you know he's ever lived yes uh, and why why did that occur yeah so the Meccans, you know, as we get, as we said, the powers that that were um, were very much um, dedicated to the old order, and that's not an, simply an order of um, worshiping idols, but that's an, also an order of, of oppression. It's an economic order. It's a social order. Um, it's uh, you know g- uh, hierarchy of you know gender, and so on and so forth. So they pushed back against what the prophet was coming to because they recognized it was like a radical call that was calling to this equality. So 
um, things got really difficult for the prophet and his community. And the prophet, he first, um, he recommends that a group of his followers, that they actually travel to Africa. Africa. So, yeah, so they travel to um, what's modern-day Ethiopia. Um, this is called the first migration. Um, and then things keep on getting worse. So the prophet then starts to make preparations to leave Mecca, him and his early followers to leave Mecca altogether. And they eventually um, uh, do the the major migration to Medina. Um, How far is that from Mecca? Um, well, nowadays, actually, I guess it's like... Uh, about two hours by car. Right. Maybe more. More? Two, maybe three or four. I don't know. Yeah. I was on, yeah, visited uh, last time, 2014. Maybe two, yeah, it's like, yeah, it depends. Bus was like two, uh, yeah. I was it two hours? I think it's about two hours. Oh, okay. Uh, but back then it's uh, well, back then, a day's, a day's yeah, journey maybe. On, on camel or a horse, you're going to, you know, it's going to be several days journey, you know, with, uh, of course, a lot of, um, uh, with a difficult road, you know, maybe possibly highway robbers. So um, the early community, they make this um, journey. A lot of people leaving in secret. Other people leaving more openly, like Omar ibn, ibn, the son of Khattab, who announces to the Meccans, if mm-hmm. you want your, your women to be widows and your um, children to be orphan, then follow me outside the city gates. <laughs> oh, that's what he, that's <laughs> yeah, that's what what he, he encouraged says. them to, yeah. that's the way to encourage? Well, that's, that's, that's what he told the, um, the powers that be in Mecca. Oh, if you want... Yeah, if, you, if you want a fight or if you want to resist me leaving, then uh-huh. you know, we, can, we, can, we can handle this outside. Okay. <laughs> and they left him alone. <laughs> they left him alone. Um, um, we're actually running out of time, but actually, I feel like um, our conversation deserves, you know, a, a third um, interview or episode because there's so much more I want to talk to you about yeah. uh, when it comes to uh, Islam, Muhammad, peace be upon him's journey in Medina, what happened there. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there, and I'm, I'm happy that you're here that you can uh, dispel some of these things. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to have uh, uh, questions. From our uh, listeners that maybe they want to, uh, they wanted to ask but couldn't today. So actually, if you uh, have any questions uh, for the imam, you can email them to truetalk at wmnf.org, and we can get it to him and perhaps do another episode maybe uh, next week. But uh, we'll let you know. So, uh, but to end with, uh, for listeners out there that are not familiar. Uh, and by the way, this is True Talk on WMNF. I'm speaking to Imam Derek Pete. That are not familiar with Islam. Um, what's your message to them, fellow Americans? Oh, dear my fellow Americans, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that Muslims are, you know, Muslims are, are to be a Muslim means that you believe in God and you also believe in humanity, and that you love humanity and you love good. You know that may sound idealistic, or but that's really the fund. That's what fundamentally it means to be a Muslim, to be a person of peace, to love kindness, and to want good for all of people. That's what being a Muslim is all about. Um, you know, at a very fundamental level. Are are Muslims all, uh, you know, reaching that goal? Are they or are they falling short? Well, you know, this is where knowledge becomes so important. We have to know who we are as a people. We don't know who we are as Muslims. If our Islam, it's informed by misinformed people online or on social media or on Facebook or, you know, we call them milk, milkshakes, by the way. <laughs> oh, you call them milkshakes? Oh, like shake, because shake is, a, is an Arabic word that sometimes they use yes. a, um, 
for whether it's a, a rich Arab sheikh or they'll you know say sheikh if they're old or if they're a religious leader they call them sheikh. Yeah. So, so milkshake. Okay. You know, if we are misinformed by and the many, milkshakes. Yeah. If we are misinformed about um, our identity, then there's no way we're going to know where, know who we are and represent the religion properly. Um, so education is then paramount. It's fundamental. But what about people who are not Muslim mm. that see Muslims that are not rising to what you're saying Muslims should be? You know, I would say or that, interact with them. You know, I'd say that Muslims don't always, just like with any other religious group, they don't always rec- re- represent the principles of their faith. And as we said before, every every human being is at a particular stage in their religious development, in their religious study. Um, so we have to also have a level of tolerance. We have to understand that, you know, Islam is one thing. The principle of the religions are one thing, uh, is one thing. And then, you know, Muslims, their flawed practice and their shortcomings is another. Of course, there's certain sort of um, behaviors that, you know, we as, you know, as Muslims and that we don't accept either. We're not going to accept certain behavior. We're going to call that out and condemn it all day. So this is not to make an excuse for for foul behavior. But this is also to say that we have to, when trying to figure out what Islam is, we have to find the proper sources of that, you know, and and yeah. define define the religion by yeah. those sources, not Absolutely. by the, and not their by adherents the or by their people that are following mm. it or claim to be following it. Mm. Before we wrap up, you're an imam. You give sermons on, um, you know, on Fridays. In one minute, what what do you what do you advise Muslims, Muslim Americans? Um, so for Muslims, American Muslim Americans, I'd say probably I'd stress the word identity. Identity, identity, identity. Knowing who we are and studying that. Knowing who we are historically. Knowing where we come from. Knowing, you know, not to, be, to, to know the greatness of our past and also to, know, also to know and study what gave rise to that. Right? What, 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 how did, how, what, what did Muslims represent? What was that identity born out of? Mm. Um, and to, to, to study identity. I'd stress that above all else. Thank you so much. We're uh, done. We're out of time. Hopefully we'll have you on again maybe next week. We'll let you know. Uh, this is True Talk on WMNF, WMNF Tampa, NPR News is next. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. This is WMNF Tampa 88.5 on the left side of your dial. Best little radio station on planet Earth. Stay tuned for NPR News. And Joellen's sitting in for Stu today, so don't go anywhere.